Good morning. <laughs> Wasn't quite tight enough. All right. Welcome to Morning Hour Chapel on this first Sunday of 2022. Uh, how many of you made it to midnight on 2021, New Year's Eve? How many of you fell asleep? All right. Excellent. Uh, how many of you had teenage boys who had their girlfriends over and weren't resting at all the entire time that they were? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, we had a wonderful time, kind of a low-key kind of thing, played a couple of games, uh, watched a little TV and watched, well, almost missed New Year's. Uh, one of the boys' girlfriends said, it's 12.01. And of course, our clocks are a little bit fast, so we, you know, we got it by about 20 seconds, so it was good. Um, but... Uh, We've just come out of what many would consider the dumpster fire that was 2021. Anybody agree with that assessment? Uh, um, I don't know if it was that bad, uh, but 2021 was a really weird uh, kind of year, wasn't it? We were still dealing with COVID uh, in the pandemic, but we did open up the country a little bit more, right? So. Uh, Businesses could be back in full swing, except people weren't coming back to work. And we were uh, experiencing all of these uh, supply chain shortages and all of these things that kept things from kind of going. Schools were open, which I'm sure the teachers loved. They didn't have to do the online learning for a lot of them this year, but, um, but there was a lot of fighting about masks and about COVID and about keeping the kids safe and doing all those. And, Interestingly, all of this is leading right into 2022. We don't get to stop uh, with that. And there are school districts even now trying to figure out, are we sending our kids back to school or are we not? But if any year defined contradiction, it was 2021. All of these kind of opposite things going on this whole time. And there was this kind of uncertainty Every day, just about, new uh, things came out from the CDC and new information came out about this politician and this uh, celebrity and all of these things and people were fighting back and forth and it was just a mess. And as we come into 2022, it's still a mess. And we're still living in this uncertainty. Um, or, as uh, social media has pointed out, 2022 actually means 2022. <laughs> Let's hope that that's not the case. But um, a few years ago, uh, my family and I went to the Junction Center. Uh, it's where WJTL, if you listen to Christian Radio, WJTL has a, a, a place out in Lancaster where they have concerts and they do events and things like that. We were out there for this, uh, this kids event and uh, they had all kinds of things. One of the things they had was a, a, a ladder truck. You guys seen the, the fire trucks, the ladder trucks? And they had one of these ladder trucks that had the, the 100 foot tall um, ladder and they had the, the little elevator thing that goes up and down on the ladder and we decided that we wanted to, to do that. Well, the boys and I decided we wanted to do that. We dragged Wendy along um, because we love stuff like that. And I know I love stuff like that. Wendy, not so much. She does not like heights. She does not like being up in high places, but she came on board because she wanted to be with her boys and she figured if we we're gonna all die, we could all die together. <laughs> anyway, we were going up in this, in this thing and we were probably about 30, 40 feet up at this time. Wendy said that she, she was feeling dizzy. She told the fireman, I'm feeling a little, uh, little woozy. And the fireman who was controlling the bucket 
Uh, didn't stop. We just kept going up. But he told Wendy, well, don't look down. Here's what you do. He said, look off at a set point in the horizon. Look at it like a tall tree or a sign or something like that. And, and focus on that, and you won't feel so dizzy. You won't feel like so woozy. And sure enough, when Wendy kind of focused out in front of her, instead of looking down where everybody was moving and it's you know, and she felt a little bit better. See, when she was looking down, everything was kind of uncertain. Everything, you know, she wasn't sure if she was going to fall out of the bucket. She wasn't sure what was going on down below her. But when she set her sight on something that was constant, something that wasn't changing, she felt more steady on her feet. And we have no idea what 2022 is going to bring, even though everybody's making predictions about it. Right? I saw this article just this morning. 20 people who think they know what's going to happen in 2022. <laughs> but we don't know what's going to happen. But as, as the world around us seems to be like we're standing in that fire bucket and looking down and everything's just shifting and changing and, and making us a little bit dizzy and a little bit nauseous, what we can do is we can look up and look at the constancy of God and we can feel better knowing that God truly is in control of all things. We know that we stand on the rock of God's steadfast love and comfort and protection. And as we look forward to 2022 and whatever it brings us, I want us as a church to be looking to God asking God, what does he want for us next? What is next for us? And he's going to lead us. And you remember last week I told you sometimes God leads us like a mile at a time. And sometimes he leads us a step at a time. And we need to be ready. We need to just keep our eyes on him and he will take us where he wants us to go. As we look forward to 2022, uh, one of the things we're going to be doing is we're going to be looking back on 2021, things that have happened uh, specifically in the church as we start preparing for this new year. And on uh, January 30th, 2022, right after worship service, we're going to be holding our annual council meeting. Uh, that's where we share the things that happened the previous year. We make some decisions about the year that's coming up. Those decisions include uh, the possibility of affirming new board members or deacons, uh, ministry leaders, uh, passing the budget for 2022. Uh, we're going to be doing those things as well. And if you are a member of Morning Hour Chapel, as of December 31st, 2021, uh, you will have the opportunity to vote on those things. And so we really would like for you to be here. But even if you're not uh, a member, it would be really good for you to be here to see what it is that we've got planned, see the things that are going to be happening in 2022, uh, and maybe even make your own decision to become a member of Morning Hour Chapel. And we're going to have uh, a membership class February 27th and March 6th uh, directly after service. Uh, if you have been on the fence about membership for a while or you just haven't gotten around to it, uh, let me know that you're interested in becoming a member and we will get you started. Uh, I've got some uh, stuff to send out to you that you can read and some things that you are going to fill out. Uh, 
But let me know if you are interested so that I can get those materials out to you. So this morning we're starting a new sermon series. This sermon series is actually going to take us all the way up through Easter. Um, and the series is titled Journey with Jesus. And we're going to be taking a look at Jesus' ministry uh, as we see it in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we're going to kind of go along almost chronologically with the things that Jesus was doing leading up to his death and his resurrection. Now, obviously, we're not going to cover every verse of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in that short a period of time, but we're going to take little steps along our journey and our first destination uh, this morning is actually going to take us back to the Old Testament. We want to learn what the Jews were expecting when Jesus came. Who was this Messiah going to be? Where was he going to be born? What would his life look like? Uh, what would he do? And most importantly, we're going to look at this Jesus meet those criteria, those things that Jews for a, about 1,500 years we're saying this is what's going to happen when Messiah comes. And the 39 books of the Old Testament were written during a span of about a thousand or so years by 35 different people. And this is kind of important because a lot of us think of the Bible as a book, right? So if we have a Bible, you have your Bibles here. Well, there's no Bibles here in this pew. So if you sit up here, you don't get to read the Bible. Uh, but over here, we do have a Bible, right? And we think, I mean, it's about book size, right? But the thing is, is that the Bible actually is not a book. The Bible is a library of books, 66 of them to be exact. And each one was inspired by God and written by different people. So the Old Testament was the Bible of the Jews before Jesus came. And it, was, it made a lot of predictions, right? We talked about predictions for 2022. Well, over a thousand years or so, the Jews made a lot of predictions about Messiah. And some scholars calculate that there are some 450 or more passages in the Old Testament that specifically uh, refer to Messiah. And the rabbis kind of interpret these things as Messiah. And that's a lot of passages, 450 different passages. That's a lot of criteria for one person to fulfill. So difficult was it that back in the late 1950s, a mathematician named Peter Stoner, uh, I don't think any relation to our stoners here, but Peter Stoner calculated that the probability of one person fulfilling just 10% of the prophecies, like 45, 50 prophecies, was one in 10 to the 157th power. Any math people in here? Anybody know what that means? That's one followed by 157 zeros. That's the problem. Just to, to match 10%. One followed by 157 zeros. By comparison, how many of you have ever played the lottery before? Of course not, because we're good brethren in Christ people and we've never played the lottery in our lives. But if you did play the lottery and you played the Powerball... The odds of you winning the Powerball are 1 in 290 million. 
Just, I'm just going to go back and forth here a couple of times so that you can see the vast difference between these two numbers. Powerball is one is 292 followed by six zeros. Now, whether Stoner's calculations of this are correct, and I'd argue he'd probably need to add a lot more zeros. We know from the study of statistics that every time you keep adding criteria to something, it's less and less probable that it's going to happen. So how many of you uh, have ever uh, used playing cards? I know we've never used playing cards because we're good Brethren in Christ people and <laughs> Brethren in Christ don't use playing cards. But if you use playing cards, and I'm going to show you uh, playing cards here. So this is a deck of playing cards. Uh, it's 52 cards in a deck, 13 cards for each of four suits, right? 13 times four, 52. And the <laughs> so half of the cards are red, half of the cards are black, right? So automatically we kind of get this progression of, of kind of narrowing things down. So I'm going to place the deck upside down so I can't see any of the cards. And I'm going to get one opportunity to pick the card that I'm instructed to pick. Okay? So I'm going to be asked to pick a red suited card. So, and I don't know if you can see the, the outline here, but there, the, there are 26 red suited cards out of 52. So my probability is 26 out of 52, or for my math people who like to simplify fractions, one and two. Right? I have a 50-50 chance of picking a red card. Now, if I'm asked to pick a heart, all of a sudden, my probability goes down to one in four, right? Four suits. So instead of 50% chance, it's a 25% chance that I'm going to pick a, a, a heart card. Now, if I'm asked to pick the five of hearts, the probability goes down to one in 52. So the more criteria that I'm adding, the less probability I have. So this is about 1.9% probability that I will pick the five of hearts with all the cards face down, picking one card. 1.9%. Do you get the idea? All right, good. Let's try one more. Let's say I'm asked to pick the five of hearts and the nine of clubs consecutively. It doesn't matter in which order. It can be the nine first or it could be the five first. I have a one in 52 probability of picking one of them right. If I pick that one right, what's my probability of picking the other one right? One in 51, right? And a lot of people don't think that way, right? It's, it's, not, you know, it's not much better odds that I'm going to pick the next card. So to pick those two cards consecutively the first time, the probability is 0.0000038%. That's tiny. The more specific the criteria, the lower the probability is that I'm going to get the result that I want. So what does this mean for prophecies about Messiah? We have 450 prophecies 
about Messiah. Let's go through just a couple of them. Let's start with the very first passage that rabbis believe to be a messianic prophecy, a prophecy about Messiah, and it is Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now, God spoke these words to the serpent after he had uh, deceived Eve into eating the fruit in the Garden of Eden. And she and her husband, Adam, ate the fruit and God had commanded them not to eat it. And now God is telling them the consequences of their actions. And this particular verse they call the Proto-Evangelium, which is just a really big word that means the first good news. This is the first gospel ever spoken by God. And it says that eventually seed of the woman is going to destroy Satan, destroy the serpent. So what is the statistical probability of Messiah being an offspring of a woman? 100%. Human beings are born of women, right? That's generally how we see things. There's a 100% chance that he's going to be born of a woman. But we look at this phrasing, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. You notice God's not talking anything about the man here. He doesn't say the offspring of the man and the woman. He says the offspring of the woman makes it kind of feel like God's saying that the child might not have an earthly father. I know, that stretching it a bit, right? Just looking at this verse. I mean, that you know that passage means that. Well, I don't know that that passage means that. But if I put that passage together with another messianic prophecy, then I can kind of see and make an educated guess that this passage means born of a woman, not of a man. In Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, we read, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So now what is the probability of a, that a woman might conceive a child without a man? Anybody know the probability of that? Zero? Absolutely not. That is incorrect because according to research done in 2013 by the British Medical Journal, yes, they are official, 0.5% of a representative survey of women in the United States conceived without having intercourse. 0.5% say that they got pregnant without having sex. Now, according to the researchers, that number is probably off because this was a self-survey and people were answering the <laughs> questions. And depending on who you're asking, they might not know the definition of what is sex. I don't, you know. So, but let's, let's for the sake of argument, let's cut it in half. Let's say 0.25% of pregnancies happen to virgins. The probability of a, a virgin birth with those numbers is one in 39,000. That's pretty good. You're more likely to get pregnant as a virgin than you are to win the Powerball. <laughs> Remember, one in 292 million for the Powerball, it's only one in 39,000. 
for women in the United States to, to conceive without having sex. So we've gone from a one in one probability to a one in 39,000 probability in just two verses. So let's look at the next one. The Bible says that Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, a specific place in Micah chapter five, verse two, but you Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Now this calculation, take a couple more steps, right? Probability that Messiah would come from the tribe of Judah is one in 12. 12 tribes of Judah, he's gonna come out of one of them. One in 12, that brings the probability to about 1.4 in 100, 1.4%. And we combine that with the probability of Messiah coming from one clan out of the one tribe, then that possibility drops down to 3.6 in 100,000. That's just a couple of prophecies. You want to add that to the one in 39,000 chance that Messiah is going to be born of a virgin, and suddenly you're getting into those 0.000000012% of probabilities. Should we go through the rest of them, 450? No, not today. We won't do that. But these are just some of the prophecies. He would be born of a virgin in Bethlehem. He would be a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Judah, and of King David. We're told in Jeremiah 31 that a messenger would prepare the way for Messiah. That messenger we read in the Gospels is John the Baptist. He's also prophesied to be a suffering servant. In Isaiah chapter 52 and 53, we read his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind and that he was despised and rejected by men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief as of one from whom men hide their faces he was despised and we esteemed him not and there are so many other things in isaiah 52 and 53 read those this week there's so much stuff in there about the suffering that jesus or that Messiah, when it was written back then, was going to suffer at the hands of those people who he's coming to save. Now, I know this is all very fascinating, and especially the math, because we all love math, right? How many of you have, how many of you remember all the math that we just talked about? How many of you went, Zip? I'll watch it later, Pastor Joe, you got it on the video, it's all right. But it's important. Because in the New Testament, we read about the life of a man named Jesus who was born, the Gospels say, of a virgin in Bethlehem of the tribe of Judah, a descendant of King David. All of a sudden, in two chapters in the first couple of books of the New Testament, we're down to a 0.00-whatever possibility that this man is Messiah. We read about all the ways in Matthew chapter 1 and Matthew chapter 2 
where Jesus fulfilled these prophecies. And every time we read something in Matthew 1 or Matthew 2, we'll read something that looks like this. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. He says that three times in the first two chapters of Matthew. This phrase or something like it, something to the effect of, this is what you read about in synagogue. This is what you learned about from the Pharisees and the scribes. He is bringing all of these things to be true. Herod's slaughter of the children after the wise men came. It's in the Old Testament. All of these things that we read about Jesus, we can point back to an Old Testament prophecy and see that he meets each one of these criteria. And the reason that I'm telling you this is because there are some people who require evidence. Have you ever met somebody who says, I want proof. Show me proof that God exists. Show me evidence. This is evidence. Because we're talking about not just 39 books that were written over a thousand years. We also had a 400 year break between the last verse of the Old Testament and the first verse of the New Testament, there were 400 years where we do not have any word from God, at least none that are written down and that are put into the Bible. Remember I told you that the, the, the Bible is a library. Old and New Testament together, 66 books, 1,500 year span. And as Christians, we believe that the Bible, all of it, is, to, is, is inspired by God. That means that God whispered into the hearts of 40 different people over 1,500 years so that they would write down what God wanted us to know about him. Started with his creation of the heavens and the earth his creation of humanity, his creation of his people. And it went on with his creation turning his back on him, of leaving God and turning towards Satan, turning towards evil. The rest of the Old Testament was inspired by God after that first three chapters of Genesis, the whole rest of the Old Testament was, was written so that God could tell us how he was going to rescue us from the hands of Satan. How he was going to bring resurrection to our dead souls. The whole rest of the Old Testament. That plan that God had these 35 people write about was called Messiah. Messiah literally means anointed one. He's the one chosen by God to lead humanity out of war with God and into peace with God. To lead them out of death of the soul into life everlasting. And because God needed to be very specific as to who that person would be so that there would be no question when he arrived, God had 35 people 
write clues as to the Messiah's identity. Messiah would need to meet all of these criteria. 450 passages. That's how you know who Messiah will be when he gets here. As we journey with Jesus over the coming months, we're going to see the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy over and over again. All of these things that point to Jesus being the chosen one of God. We'll also discover a lot of ideas and teachings that were new to the Jews of his time. We read the Bible and we say, well, yeah, that makes sense. We read the Sermon on the Mount. It's, yeah, it's hard, but yeah, that's what Jesus would say. I want us to put ourselves into the place of first century Jews who had never heard of Jesus, but who had heard of Messiah. And let's take a look and let's see if this Messiah, this Jesus, is who he says he is. From the time that he started his ministry to the time that he suffered as his friends abandoned him, as one of his friends betrayed him. Let's see if he is who he says he is. Jesus lived the words of Isaiah, chapter 43, verse 19. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? Let's spend this time leading up to Easter perceiving it. Let's look at this new thing that Jesus did. Let's look at this new thing that Jesus does every day in the hearts and souls of people who finally turned to him. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for the new year. And Father, we thank you for your steadfastness, your constancy. We thank you that you are the rock upon whom we stand. And that no matter what is happening around us, you envelop us with your peace and your comfort and your love and your forgiveness. Father, as we enter into this new year as a congregation, we ask that you would show us your path for us. Where do you want us to go? What do you want us to do? Father, we ask that you would open our hearts and our minds to be obedient to your leading, whether you're leading us a step at a time or whether you're leading us a year at a time. We thank you, Father, for this church. We thank you for the people. Father, you see the needs of the people in this church, the people in this community. You see the things that are happening with COVID-19, People who are scared. People who are feeling symptoms of something and they just don't know what it is. Cover them with your constancy of peace and comfort.
and bring them here. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, and the Messiah. Amen. This morning we are going to be celebrating our first communion of 2022. And I can't think of a better way to start our year than to celebrate at the communion table, to remember the things that Jesus Christ has done, the things he did during his life and the things that he does in us every single day. As we prepare to take communion, I'd like for you to just take a few moments Prepare your hearts, prepare your minds, confess your sins. Think about those people for whom you need to offer forgiveness. Think about those people for whom you need to ask forgiveness. Let's take a few moments. On the evening that he was betrayed, Jesus took bread. And after he blessed it, he broke it and passed it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me, the body of Christ. In the same way, after supper, he took a cup of wine, and after he blessed it, he passed it to his disciples and said, Drink this, for this is the blood of the new covenant spilled for you. Each time you do it, do it in remembrance of me, the blood of Christ. As we take this journey with Jesus, as we start this new year, we pray that we open our hearts and our minds to perceive this new thing that he is doing, this new thing that gives us life and hope, peace and freedom. God bless you this week.